Welcome to Wood Talk for woodworkers by woodworkers. Now, here are three guys who have great personalities Mark, Matt, and Shannon. All right, welcome to Wood Talk number 308 for May 9th, 2016. On today's show, we're talking about dealing with pitch in your 2x4s, rabbit planes, uh, back pain. Oh, that doesn't sound good. And our featured topic, how often function dictates our wood choices. But before we get to that, let's take a moment to talk about our sponsor. Kalo is the functional wedding ring for your hardworking hands. Kalo silicone wedding rings are safe for your fingers. And now the new quality collection rings are made with Q2X material and they're 10 times more resistant to gas, oil, and solvents and less rigid than traditional silicone. Kalo rings are incredibly comfortable and start at just $15.99. Head to Kalo.com, that's Q. A L O dot com and use the discount code WoodTalk for 15% off your order. I'm actually wearing one of their t shirts right now because they sent me one and it's quite comfortable, uh, almost as comfortable as their rings, quite frankly. Uh, we'd also like to thank a few folks who helped us out with financial support. James Filatio, oh, there's a lot of names I'm going to have trouble with here. James Filatio, <laughs> uh, Anthony Fisher, Jacob Spence, Wilson Ayala, Brock, Craig and Brink, Jason Hotzi, Hotz. Maybe, uh, y- y- whoa, what's that? Yoken? Yeah, I know that J can't be a hard J, right? That's got to be like a Y sound, huh? What do you think? Yoken? Yoken Kuhneman. Yeah, there you go. Uh, Jason. A Ka- school student. Okay, so. good to know. I almost don't Probably like Probably still now. said it wrong. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, nice nice job. <laughs> I've been a student since 2010. <laughs> well don't done. Know my name. You just cash his checks. That's all. Uh, Jason Cassis. Ka- um, by the way, Jason had a great um, uh, note that he left with his his donation. He says uh, basically that each show is we're each giving our two cents of advice. So he did the math and the calculations, and he's listened to the whole archive. So with two cents per show per person, he came up with his donation amount. Now, I'm not, I'm not saying that's what everyone should do, but that's not a bad guideline, really, when you think about it. Uh, so if you want to help out too, just like all those folks did, that's actually two weeks worth. I forgot to add some in last week. Uh, we really appreciate your support. So go to woodtalkshow.com, look over in the side column for those donation links, and you too can have your show or your name completely butchered by me uh, at the beginning of the show, like I did for most of those people. Sorry. Uh, all right. So let's get into the meat of the, uh, the the show here. What's on the bench? And I'll go first. Uh, Barrister's bookcase is finished. Uh, applied the final coat and kind of just did a little uh, little surface prep with some mineral oil and uh, mineral spirits just to kind of make it nice and slick. Installed the glass, got the hardware on there, and took some pictures. So that thing is done, and now I have to do all the, the fill-in stuff. Um, <laughs> so like little behind-the-scenes thing all month long with The Apprentice here actually kind of worked out in my favor, but I've been having some problems with my voice and we're trying to figure out it's like, could be sinus related, could be like silent reflux related, who the heck knows, but it's, uh, it's causing me problems. I'm lucky I've been able to get wood talk out each week. Uh, but it, it makes it difficult for me to, to talk for long periods of time. And when I talk on camera, I tend to talk louder and I use my voice even more intensely than I do for normal conversations. So, um, while the apprentice was here, I just said, screw it. I'm doing everything voiceover in this project, but it's a guild build. And that's hard to do. You got to really take the time to explain things uh, when we do one of these guild videos. <clears throat> so now I'm challenged with um, going in there after the fact as I'm doing the editing. And I thought, you know what? This is actually an opportunity. This is something I don't normally have the chance to do is to have the finished piece to intro what we're about to do. Very like New Yankee Workshop style, <laughs> you know, which, which you see Norm do that all the time, right? And normally we find ways around that because we're building it almost in real time. And I go, okay, well, here's the SketchUp drawing. This is what we're working on now. Um, but I now actually turn this into an advantage because the thing is right there. So I could say, you know, we're going to make this groove right here in the side panel. Um, you know, let's let's get to it. And then I'll go to the footage and use voiceover. So I uh, hopefully we'll be able to turn some lemons into lemonade there. Uh, but that's that's going to be quite an undertaking to be able to like fill in those gaps. <clears throat> excuse, see, problem. Yeah, uh, and and make it a sensible production that people are really going to enjoy watching. So that's that's what I'm digging go into. And change your T-shirt to match the footage that follows it. <laughs> I think I'm just going to go promo on the whole thing and just like wear guild T-shirts for every one of those shots with the finished piece because it's like not. I'm not even going to pretend that this was done. <laughs> like I had a finished piece. You know, I don't build a prototype first and then uh, keep that around for the actual uh, building process. So that'd be nice. Yeah. But it's about your level of devotion. Norm did it, so I'm just saying. Norm I made it look like it only took two days. <clears throat> yeah, and Norm shot Brad nails into everything. 
<laughs> to hold it, you know, but only until the glue dries. So there's, it takes them out. Yeah, there's that. I, I, I always imagine him like two in the morning out there with a pair of pliers and just kind of <laughs> pulling every brad nail out because the glue's finally dry. <laughs> Think he did that? I, I, don't uh, I don't know. So yeah, anyway, so uh, next project coming up, everyone is going to love this because it involves my lathe. I'm actually going to turn uh, one of those little fitted lidded uh, boxes. Very simple thing for holding uh, rings and whatnot. Since now I don't have my regular valuable ring on my finger, I need a place to put it. So I figured one of those little uh, turned boxes would be a lot of fun to make. So that will probably be this week. And we'll see where that goes. And that's, uh, of course, on the free site for that one. So, Shannon, what's going on? I um, <clears throat> I did no woodworking this week. <laughs> What a turd. No, my, um, my, uh, my puppy, I got a phone call Tuesday from his daycare saying, um, you might want to come pick him up. He's really sick. Oh no. And he was really sick. Um, don't know what caused it, what happened, but it was almost like he'd been poisoned. Like I imagine if a dog ate a bunch of chocolate, this is yeah. what would happen. Oh so, man, that's hard uh, to hear he that. Was, he was, uh, coming out both ends, um, projectile and yuck and just, just really unhappy. And it was, it was heartbreaking cause he's such a little guy and he looks at you like, what happened? What's wrong with me? <laughs> yeah. So yeah, I went to the vet a bunch, spent a whole bunch of money and, um, my whole plan of, you know, I've got these three days after work in the shop. Oh, I spent those at the vet yeah, instead. out so, the window. Yeah. yeah. And then, you know, there was mother's day, which, you know, it's fine and everything it's Sunday, but it turns out this weekend, it was a whole weekend thing, Yeah, you know, which involved a baseball game and then <laughs> a brunch and then the dinner and, you know, Hey, it was, it's fine. You know, we, 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 we take care of our mothers on, on mother's day. Sure. But, you know, it just meant no shop time for me. So wow. I went in there early this morning before I headed off to work and, and just like <laughs> sniffed the air a little bit, you know, so it took some of the essence in. Yeah. To just, go. just to get me through the day. Right. <laughs> nice. About as, as much shop time as I got this week. That is a bummer. You know, you brought up mother's day. Guess what I did all mother's day. I painted the house. So Ooh. woke Ooh. up and I said, Nicole, look, I know you're a practical woman, right? You don't care about flowers and chocolates. She doesn't. She really does not give a crap about them. Uh, so I was like, here's my gift to you. Like all the stupid honeydew things that, I, that I've been procrastinating on, what do you want me to do? Like I'm yours all day long. And uh, we had some painting that had, hadn't been finished. There was like two or three walls that were still not painted from the renovations we did. Uh, like two years ago and uh anything like, you want me to do anything else you want anything me to do? other than the painting <laughs> uh, i can't be the only one who absolutely uh abhors painting it's, i don't mind the painting it's the prep the yeah, taping and that stuff yeah oh, cutting oh. in and all that good stuff so that's what i did all day sunday and she was so happy it was like uh, i was the hero that day um, so, hey, great idea. If you if you got a lady out there who's not so into, you know, there's more more traditional things, think about stuff like that. I think it's a great idea. And uh, practical gifts like that uh, can go over well sometimes. And depending on, on the lady, though, sometimes the practical gift is not going to go over so well. But you got to know who you're, <laughs> who you're gifting it to. Uh, anyway, yeah, sorry and, about and that. If your practical gift is cleaning up a mistake <laughs> that you already made, yeah. like patching the drywall that you put the hole into, yep. that's generally frowned upon. I will put my laundry in the hamper today <laughs> just for you, right? Uh, you're welcome. Reminds uh, <laughs> me of the Christmas that my dad bought my mom a computer monitor. Right. Oh, that is very romantic. <laughs> yeah. That was like 20 years ago, but nice. we, we're never allowed to forget that one. Better than buying her a treadmill. That's for sure. <laughs> Exercise equipment, not a good thing, generally speaking. Uh, but yeah, sorry about that uh, tangent there. Uh, Matt, what about you? What's going on in your shop? Uh, speaking of Mother's Day, um, I actually forgot that it was Mother's Day this weekend. Whoa. Like, so like, I think it was whoa, like whoa. Thursday last and this, week. And this is your wife's first Mother's Day too. I, yeah. That's, a, that's a biggie. Well, oh, I heard. <laughs> oh, I was oh, I well know. aware of that. <laughs> <laughs> but um it was kind of interesting because you never know like when inspiration will strike. So it was like Saturday, like halfway through the day, uh, my wife was gone for the day and I was watching my son and he just gone down for a nap and has had like this stroke of like creative inspiration. I went outside, I grabbed a, a off cut of uh, walnut, like the uh the flitch cut, the top cut of a log, so like has bark on one side and then like wood on the other. Mm-hmm. And I was like, oh, I can make a little plaque out of this. And I had recently saw, and I forget who it was on Instagram that was making a, a conference table with like brass rod inlay in it. it was, that was like a wave pattern. Uh-huh. So 
So I was like, oh, I can kind of use that, and I can kind of spell out some like letters. So I wrote the the year, my son's name, and then my dog's name on this, uh, I guess, plaque, and um, inlaid all those different brass rods. I used quarter, three sixteenth, and eighth inch brass rod or dowel in there. So I got a bunch of like little end grain style looking brass in there in the letters and the numbers, and uh, it turned out pretty cool. Nice. And she liked it. And I did put their handprints there in in uh, paint after the. Uh, all the inlay was done, which is turned out really cool. Oh, that's awesome, man. That sounds great. It was, yeah. it was cool. It's, it was nice. One of those times yeah, people nice are like, yeah, I know, so, right? So I'm thinking Saturday afternoon, is this, was it really inspiration or was it panic? Well, that's, that's, <laughs> that's the thing too. It's like, this, like yeah, this inspiration versus desperation, right? <laughs> you have this moment where you're like, I have to, I have to do something. I have to make something. And then like, just, it just hit me. It's, like you hear about that all the time. Like, ah, oh, that's kind of BS. And it just yeah. hits you, whatever. That literally happened to me. Like, for the first time, like I know exactly what I'm going to make. I had no idea before and I have this idea for something really cool and I did it. Nice. Right on. Very cool, man. Nothing wrong with that. All right, yeah. let's get into uh, what's new. Some stuff to uh, make you aware of. And first thing, I'll mention it again, the giveaway at the Wood Whisperer. Just go to the woodwhisperer.com slash giveaway. It's free to enter. Uh, we've got a couple of really cool things there that you do not want to miss out on. And uh, let's see. First one I have here in my search for inspiration for this lidded box. And also, hey, look, I don't turn that often. So when I go to do something, I know that I can do it, but I kind of need a refresher on common practices <laughs> on some of these things when it comes to turning. So I uh, came across a gentleman named Mike Walt, who has a very simple lidded box instructional video. The guy's got a great accent and good videography that just is plain and simple. There's not a whole lot of craziness to it and shows a, a really nice way to turn yourself a, a, a fairly attractive but simple little lidded box. So uh, we'll put that and embed that in the show notes for you. But the guy's name is Mike Walt. I subscribed. He uh, has a lot of good videos. Nice. Yeah. Good stuff. <clears throat> I always like to find good turning channels. Yep. Uh, this next one comes to us from Peter. He says, I was looking at getting back into putting content on this internet thing. And as expected, <laughs> all of the good domain names are taken. <laughs> it turns out that you can get a dot furniture address instead of a dot com address. Whoa. For example, you can have woodwhisper.furniture instead of woodwhisper.com. It's a bit more expensive at around 50 bucks a year than a dot com, but perhaps we woodworkers can get more personalized web addresses this way. So Don't do it. I think that's stupid. <laughs> Here's my two cents on this. And I <clears throat> came up with an idea recently that I needed a domain for. And I got the name. And of course, you know, these days it's very difficult, if not impossible, to get the actual domain you want. So I look at all the variations and, oh, what if I add the word the? Can I get it that way? Um, but the thing is, people are, the, the, the whole dot com thing is so ingrained um, that if you really, if your website is mission critical, I would stay away from anything that's a little bit off kilter like that because it, it confuses the average person. Like, so honestly figure out a dot com and it doesn't even have to be exactly representation of your name, just something that people can remember uh, because if they can't remember, then it's not going to work. And remembering that someone actually has a dot furniture and not dot com. I think that's, I don't know. That's asking a lot of people personally. Well, people get like fancy with it too. Um, <laughs> I, I was giving the, the development guys that I'm working with for hand tool school website, fantastic um really really smart guys and you know how a lot of like especially in the uk it's like dot co dot uk yeah um well they put dot co dot de and i was like what are you guys in germany now they're like no it's supposed to spell code and i was like no oh, it looks like you're in germany <laughs> it's like <laughs> yeah the other guy one of the the it's a team of two guys and the other one turned the other one was like see i told you people were going to say that <laughs> so <clears throat> i mean i don't know about the whole seo thing i mean there's certainly dot com dot net dot biz not so much dot biz those hold obviously a little bit more weight yeah, that's starting totally. to fall away i think but yeah it's um i don't know you got to be careful there um, that you don't end up with something that nobody knows how to get to yeah i just feel it's better to have a dot com that's imperfect than the perfect dot furniture, you know, yeah. to me. Or, you know, just, or use the dot furniture and redirect it to a dot com. See, there you go. That's an idea. Yeah, yeah. <clears throat> that's, a, that's a good idea. All right. <laughs> wait, not me. Matt, you're up. <laughs> Sorry, I'm getting confused here. Okay. This one is from Tom. <laughs> it says, I took a number of my woodworking pieces to my big shebang birthday dance party last Friday. A woman admired my work and sent me an interesting link. 
She had gone to a school run by Greg's mother, not my style of woodworking, but pretty fun stuff. Hmm. It's a YouTube video here, and I just took a look at it briefly. This guy makes some pretty cool stuff, and he's working on this even more like intricate thing that he's trying to plan out based on this last triangle of Pythagoras, which I haven't... You know, I listened to this with audio, so I have no idea what, what's going on here. Mm-hmm. Everyone will look at the video. But in the beginning, you can see some of his work he's done where he cuts like plywood into like zigzags so he can like curve it to make like a chair, which is super cool. Wow. Very nice. I have to check, check that, that out. out. For sure. Good deal. Um, <clears throat> next thing came on my, uh, came up on my <laughs> Facebook page. You know, sometimes the words come out of my mouth in a way I don't want them to. Um, Silas Kopf, you guys familiar with him? The marketry dude? Mm-hmm. Yep. <clears throat> he just posted this awesome picture of a seven foot tall folding screen marketry piece that he's working on. And it is a depiction of a lady sitting at a little bistro cafe at a table with a dog eyeing her muffin and, excuse me, and a uh, cup of coffee in her hand. She's talking on a cell phone. Uh, This picture is just, uh, I don't know, it's mind blowing. The level of detail, the artistry that's in this to show light and shadow and just you have to look at this thing and you got it's a kind of a nice picture and if it's just a painting you'd be like <laughs> not so bad the guy made this out of wood you know that's the thing that's mind-blowing about this so you you've absolutely got to check it out and and i don't know if you're not a facebook user apologies but this this is on his facebook community page so we'll put the link directly to the page but i also posted this on the wood whisperer facebook page uh because i'm floored when i see his stuff he, he's got a very whimsical approach to marketry it's not just all flowers and plants there's a hanging like potted flower plant thing that that alone is months of work. <laughs> when you look at what this, this whole thing, you know, in the big picture, this whole thing, it's insane. So this guy is like next level. He's the kind of guy that makes you want to, you know, hang up your scroll saw and walk away and just say, it's just not worth it. Um, you either get inspired or depressed when you look at stuff like that. So it depends on your personality. <laughs> I, gr- I grab the image and I'll put the image in the show notes. Yeah, yeah, but, yeah. I do that. Um, if you're a Facebook user and you go to Silas's uh, page, there is a, an image further down the stream that's a close up of the lady's face. Yeah. And you can actually see the different how he's used the grain to create like the lines of her cheeks and everything. Mm-hmm. It's crazy. So in, in some respects, it's not. He, it's not even just he used a different piece of wood to create shadow, but how he used the grain in order to create definition. It's, it's crazy. Yeah. Silas is, is like the man, like we're all just in his world. <laughs> yeah. We're just playing in his world. It's one of those things like those, uh, collage pictures where it's an image made up of a bunch of little tiny images. Uh, and when you look up close, you go, Oh, how does that work? But then you pan back and suddenly you see all the shadow effects that he created. Uh, I'll tell you what, my one critique is the proportions on that iPhone are way off. <laughs> Sorry, Silas. It's, it's go back to the drawing board, man. I don't know. Maybe, maybe he knows something we don't. It's maybe that's the, the iPhone, iPhone seven, seven yeah. plus plus. <laughs> that's what it is. <laughs> He's in the know. Uh, but yeah, that, obviously I'm joking, but uh, awesome, awesome stuff. Yeah, there's some good stuff. And I think if you dig further into his channel, you'll find even more. He's done several self-portraits. Yeah. Just his work is just ridiculous. Go buy his book. It's good. It is. Uh, So this next one is, uh, I put it in here because it's from uh, a good buddy, Dave Picciuto, and I just like it. Oh, that guy. um, Well, you know, we've joked about artisanal toilet paper and (laughs) like the pencil sharpener guy that like shows how to sharpen a pencil. David actually made exotic wood pencils. And it is, at face value, it's such a, like, why have I never thought to do this before? It's such a just, like, stupid, simple project. He, he routes a groove in, puts the lead in, glues it up, and shapes an octagon. And it's so cool. To the point where I immediately clicked through, hopefully it was affiliate link, and bought pencil lead on Amazon from his page. <laughs> and in fact, it just showed up today. So, um, But I was also able to find colored pencil lead. So I just did a, a colored pencil box for, for Christmas presents this year. So I figured next year I can make the colored pencils to put in the box. But the adult coloring just- books? Yeah, yeah. yeah it's go. just yeah. such a cool idea that's just so simple. And, you know, of course you're like, man, I'm like, sharpening down this beautiful purple heart pencil you know <laughs> it's it's the woodworking craft show item that people have to come back for more eventually see yeah. it's a little like uh it's consumable yeah i yeah. mean and then especially when you look at this stuff with the exotics it's one of those things that's like i don't know 
like thumbing your nose at the people who are just super conservative about using exotic wood. <laughs> you know, it's like wiping your butt yeah. with uh, with wangy toilet paper, which would be very painful, by the way. Which was oh. funny because, of course, there was, you know, typical YouTube. There was a guy that commented on there about what a waste of scrap wood. And David responded <laughs> and, and David wins the troll <laughs> troll award this week by saying, well, considering it was already scrap wood to begin with. I assume you approve or something. He's like, the, the troll said something about what, a you know, you should use scrap wood for something better or something like that. And he turned it around on him and, and yeah, it was good. And the actual amount of wood that he's using to make one of these things is like minuscule. It's, it's stuff that uh, quite honestly, I'd probably throw away. Yeah. You know, so the fact that he's getting anything useful out of it is ridiculous that someone would have an issue with that. That was the first thing I did when I went down to the shop. Um, after I saw this, I was just like, okay, what, just, just look around the shop. I can probably make 20 pencils just with like what's <laughs> lying on the floor. What I haven't yet like picked up off the floor. Yeah. Sure enough. Yeah. There's, <laughs> I could probably make an entire box of cherry pencils right now without, you know, even having to cut up any new stock. I feel like the, um, uh, like the gripper is required material like required tool for this project you see most of the cuts that he's making i'm like yep wouldn't be able to do that (laughs) like very few other ways that you could accomplish that at the table saw um anyway unless you do it all by hand well (laughs) who does that honestly let's let's be honest here okay let's move into our kickback uh brian sent us a voicemail and it goes a little something like this hey shannon and cremona this is brian mccauley from columbia maryland I've got a little kickback regarding the Festival Domino and Hollow Chisel Mortisers. Um, I have the Domino XL and a Hollow Chisel Mortiser. And I've got to say, since I've gotten the XL, I have not used my Hollow Chisel Mortiser once. Um, It's a benchtop model, um, and it's just sitting there collecting dust. I haven't had a need for it at all. Uh, it's just so much more convenient and faster and easier to use my domino. Uh, I have the Seneca woodworking accessories to go along with it, so I can use all of the cutters for the smaller domino, the 500, uh, with my XL. So it's like having both of them, um, both the 500 and the XL. It's great. I love it. And if uh, anyone out there is considering getting a domino, I highly recommend it. It's a great tool. All right, guys. Thanks. I, I have I have some some not kickback to this kickback, but I'm just wondering because we had several people who wrote comments on the 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 page of yes. this episode, and there was one person that specifically talked about I use uh, my mortising machine because I like to do through and wedged tenons. Can you not do that? Can't you do a through? I don't have a domino, so but can't you do a through mortise with a domino? You could, but you. Sure. I think it's it comes down to square corners. Right, but I mean, you chisel it out, right? You could, but I also think a lot of your, yeah, I mean, the thing is a lot of it might be the the, the tenon width, the mortise width, so you could go and do that sort of side-by-side thing. Um, but I do think you have, the, the, the width is going to be a little bit of an issue, and also the depth at which you can plunge uh, hmm, might okay. be an issue. And I, I don't even off the top of my head know exactly how deep you can go uh, with the Domino XL, for instance, but there are going to be some applications where, you know, a big beefy table, I don't know that you're going to be able to pull that off. But then again, you can go in from the other side too. And the right. domino is, you know, pretty darn accurate that you, you <clears> should <throat> be able to line that sucker up, plunge in yeah. from both sides and actually you get that down. You might want to too, because when you get a fair amount of blowout on the backside, if you're not careful. <clears throat> yeah, that's true. Yeah. Who knows what the back, I, I, don't, I don't think I've ever plunged completely through to know exactly what that looks like with the domino, how much tear out you get. Right. Hmm, good question. Well, and, and the other thing that I wonder is, at what point this is a design question, so there's no right answer to this people, but at what point is the round exposed tenon now considered to be acceptable? You know, it's like, Oh, it's gotta be square. If it's going to be a through tenon, it's gotta be square. But have we now moved into the world of router made mortises enough that it will now soon be acceptable to have an exposed rounded tenon? Nope. Don't think so. Huh? <laughs> Not going to give you an explanation. Just <laughs> no is the answer. Uh, all right. So I next, should kick back for next week. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Next thing we've got is someone who's sad in Michigan. His name's Matt and it's not that uh, Matt. He's also sad because uh, he's not on the show anymore. But uh, Matt in Michigan says, help. I heard your episode about using a new server for hosting. That's not what we said. 
uh, but I can't seem <laughs> I can't seem to find your new RSS feed. Please add something like a nice big button on the woodtalkshow.com homepage. I'm not an Apple guy, so iTunes won't help, and my podcast addict app uh, still directs me to your old feed. Well, good news, Matt. If you go to woodtalkshow.com, there is a big orange button that you requested, but it was there before you requested it. It's on the right-hand side, and it's that traditional RSS logo, you know, the little three lines that I guess are meant to look like a sound wave of some sort or something like that. Uh, look on the right-hand side in the column, the right column there. It's You can't miss it. Big orange button. Click that or right-click it and get the link, and that's the link to our feed. Um, what is it? I think it's episodes, woodtalkshow.com slash episodes slash feed if uh, you really can't find that. But it's right there on the homepage. So check that out. I just wanted to say that just in case anyone else had trouble finding it or you know, give us an opportunity to give the feed right on the show. So, Yeah, and we don't like you to be sad. So we don't like we can do it. to help that. Correct. Uh, like, oh, I guess we'll put two in a row here for me. Uh, Michael Corwin says, in response to when you would use a hollow chisel mortiser over a domino, I found two unique uses in which the mortiser was a better tool for the job. I make walnut plant stands for a ceramicist. That's a ceramics person, I guess. Ceramicist? I never heard someone say that. Cool. Learn something every day. And the construction consists of cross lap joints and mortise and tenon joinery, all in three quarter inch square stock. Even a number four domino was too large to use given the size. So the mortiser wins out in that case. Also, I did a job for a client that wanted to store their set of letter and number punches upright, which requires 30 some odd shallow quarter inch mortises. Granted, these are totally specialized jobs. However, even though I own a domino uh, that was not able to use it, I wasn't able to use it in these cases. Now, I would buy a could buy a hollow chisel mortiser again, given its usage in my shop. Uh, in all honesty, and yeah, I have real trouble with words today. In all honesty, <laughs> Probably not, as the domino really makes quick work of the majority of mortising work, and if I ever want to cut integral tenons, I could just use the router and a drill press and chisel combo. So, there's some feedback from Michael. Interesting. Well, this one comes from Andrew on the same topic. He says, with a hollow chisel mortiser, you can set up a mortise and tenon for draw boring. I don't see how you could do that with a domino. I have no idea what he's talking about. I specifically put this you in could. here because I wanted to know. Yeah, why couldn't you? You just glue you glue one end end into like the long piece. Is yeah. he using the mortiser to actually drill the peg, like a square peg hole? I think he's just saying that if you no, I think he's saying that if you are using the mortiser, you're probably doing a classic um, integral mortise and tenon joint, which gives oh, you the you draw can't. boring opportunity. So it's not even so much about the tool as it is about the type of tenon he's he's cutting. Right. You just draw bore both sides of the joint. Well, in so a you're domino, draw boring the loose tenon into place. But I mean, all you really need to do is glue the tenon into yeah. one side, you know, <laughs> right. and now it's an integral, integral tenon for all intents and purposes, uh, and then draw bore the other. Now, granted, it's a little bit trickier sometimes because that that domino tenon has like crap on its on the face. So if you're trying to mark carefully and maybe you know scoot it up a, a thirty second so it really pulls it in tight. Um, you may have some issues getting accurate marking there, but it's not it's not impossible. Um, I think it can definitely be done. Yeah, just use a yeah. use a um, transfer bit or use the same drill bit. Yeah. That way you're actually point. putting a dimple in the tenon in, in the domino itself rather yeah. than using a pencil lead or something like that. Cute little yeah. dimple. I've seen people do like actual uh, breadboard ends with with the domino like that. Yes. Yeah. Where they actually cut the slots and it's like just like a normal integral breadboard end, but it's got dominoes instead. Yep. There you go. Well, those work. So there you go, Andrew. You're wrong. You're wrong. <laughs> That's why we put that in here to tell you you're wrong. <laughs> I, I honestly just didn't get what he was saying. So now I know and you're wrong. And, you know, I wouldn't want to, I don't think I'd want to do a lot of it that way just because the domino is not really that wide. And sometimes, I don't know, maybe you want to put two of them in there. Uh, it might be a little bit tricky, but it's definitely possible. Make your own dominoes, I guess. There you go. You, Still you cut could, it faster. You could draw board with a domino. You could use the domino <laughs> to cut the cross you totally could. <laughs> offset and then hammer the domino through the offset. Oh, man. Now you're yeah. thinking. Now you're thinking. That would be some serious draw boring right there. Nicely back done. Here, plunging all the way through. Yeah. yeah. Nice. Well, yeah. Good stuff. Um, Full round circle. All right. This is from Tommaso. Uh, glue on clamps for uh, pipe clamps. There was a trick uh, some years back in one of the woodworking magazines about using thin wall PVC or plastic rods cut to four inch length with a longitudinal, Shan's $4 word, cut an inch or so wide. <laughs> I don't know so you can slap, snap them on and off. 
It isn't much clearance, but the idea was to keep the black pipe from directly contacting the glue. Oh, that's not a bad tip. Pretty cool idea, actually. I've never seen that. Uh, This next one is from Mark. He says, Shannon, you were right on with all your suggestions on reducing tear out with a smoother, but there was a big one you seem to be missing, moving the chip breaker closer to the edge of the iron. I used to run with my chip breaker close to the edge, but didn't stress over it. Maybe between a 32nd and a 16th. So you've lost me already. (laughs) My my tear out was manageable, but, but it was there. Uh, then I read an article by Christopher Shores and tried to get it as close as I possibly could. I noticed this makes the plane substantially harder to push, but now there is no tear out at all, ever. Huh. Even playing against the grain in maple or cedar. Absolutely. <laughs> you know, just like with everything, there's a bunch of different ways to get there. Um, the the problem, it's not even really a problem I have. You just have to be, um, if you've got a typical smoothing plane camber with like, practically nothing removed from the corners, you should be okay. But if you've got a little bit more pronounced camber, then you'll run into issues where you can't move the chip breaker that close because the chip breaker now overlaps the curvature of the blade. But if that's the case, then you probably put too much camber on your smoothing plane iron. But yeah, it's just, it's, you know, we've seen the, the, whatever the electron microscope videos of what happens to the shaving and everything. And yeah, there's no, no questioning. I just, I don't stress over it that much <laughs> that I'm going to say I've got to have it a 32nd or a 16th. I set it back from the edge a tiny amount. That's all I know. Yeah. Um, and that'll do it. Cool. Uh, I just total aside, got my inbox open and got an email from Highland. And I don't know why this tickles me so much, but the um, subject line says, improve your dovetails with this one tool. And I opened it up thinking I'm going to see some kind of nifty jig or like something interesting like that. And it's just the saw. <laughs> You know what I mean? It's like we know the saw and chisel are kind of, you know, those are just an integral part of the process. Like, where's my fancy like thing that I'm not supposed to be aware of? Oh, yeah. a saw. Okay. Yeah, that would help. <laughs> Do need a saw to get that done. But it's a bad axe stiletto. I mean, come on. Yeah. And I'm sure it's a fantastic saw. I just, I was expecting like a, a gadget. <laughs> it is a fantastic saw. Yeah. I was expecting In something. My experience, just people, the gaps weirder. that people create are usually from chiseling, not sawing. But. Yeah. You haven't seen mine yet. <laughs> okay. Um, yeah, I think my chiseling skills are better than my, my sawing skills <laughs> sometimes. Uh, all right. Mine too. Yeah. Um, what are we on? We're on poll of the week. And Yay. Believe, believe it or not, I'm keeping up with it, guys. Two weeks in a row. Boom. <laughs> it's all a streak. Right. <laughs> it is. <laughs> Two in a row. <laughs> all right. So last week we asked, what's your favorite finish to spray? And I had quite a few people reply. Uh, 30% said water-based. 29% said I don't spray. 26% said lacquer. 8% said shellac, 5% said oil-based, and 3% said paint. So oh, you can go and uh, you paint. can still, yeah, fun stuff, right? <laughs> and no percentage, but just one entry said whatever's still left in my critter. Yeah. We know that was, we know that was Matt Vanderlist. <laughs> yep, exactly. It's probably the dried finish he had from like eight years ago. <laughs> from from episode number eight. Yeah, We'll talk exactly. number eight. Um, all right. And the next question for this week, if you want to go and uh, reply to this poll, is do your projects always go smoothly? This is inspired by a Facebook question. I think in the Guild Facebook group, someone asked that question. It's like, well, for most people, they never, ever go completely smooth. So I, I thought it would be cool to kind of dive into that a little bit. And uh, you can go give your opinion on uh, if they ever go smooth and, uh, you know, how smoothly do they go? So feature topic today. Uh, kind of summing it up is how often does function factor into your choice of wood? Uh, but the question comes from Peter. Uh, I'll read the whole thing here. He says, I would like to build a blacker house style chair. Does it really matter what type of hardwood I use? Are there timbers that are better suited for chair making? Are there timbers I should avoid? Uh, I enjoy listening to your show. Keep up the good work. Uh, he says, I also do use wood talk to motivate my kids to eat their dinner, empty the dishwasher <laughs> and clean their rooms, etc. So, uh, it's good. Good kid motivation. Now, if I could, if I could use wood talk to get my son to eat dinner, that'd be fantastic, but he won't do it. Uh, all right. So just to quickly answer his question on the blacker house chair thing. Personally, I think if you're building just your average chair from, you know, a, a decent species of, I don't know, standard killed and dried hardwood, I kind of don't think it matters that much. You know, if it's a durable species, if it's not too weak, not too prone to like splitting, it's probably a good candidate. The joints are going to hold just fine. I don't think there's much to worry about for that. But let's get into his, his you know, what I think is really the, the cool part of this question. 
Um, do you have situations where you do use a specific species of wood because of a functional need? Now, the chair thing is interesting because the the one, you know, there's one thing that kind of goes off in the back of my mind about this is Windsor chairs, mm-hmm. right? And I know, Shannon, you're super familiar with this. So quickly review what species of wood you typically use and why you use those in a Windsor. Sure. Um, well, <clears throat> for the seat, you just want something easy to carve, frankly. Right. And more importantly, you want it to be dry. Um, absolutely, it must be dry. Um, for the legs, you want something that's good to turn, that's going to hold your details really, really well. And um, that can be air dried or it could be you may kiln dry it artificially, if you will, mm-hmm. so that the, the tenons shrink up so that when you stick it into the seat, they exchange moisture and they swell and they lock themselves in place. But you do want a good um, hard wood that's going to hold those turnings really nicely. But you need to rive that out so that you get a really straight grain piece. Because one of the things with Windsors is they've got those really kind of skinny, delicate legs. And unless you've got continuous grain running to end to end, it's going to be fragile. You know, you're especially at the tenons because the, the Windsor is basically a platform. It's like a stick construction for those that have read the Anarchist Design book. It's stick frame construction. You just all the stress is sitting right on those tapered tenons. So if you've got grain run out up by the tenons, it's going to snap the legs off over the years. The spindles and the bow. Well, the bow is steam bent. So you want a wood that's going to bend nicely, preferably a ring porous wood like white oak, red oak, ash, um, any of those guys that are going to compress. They've got room in those pores to compress when you steam bend it. And it shouldn't be kiln dried. I know there are people say you can steam bend kiln dried. I've never seen that go well. So that's going <laughs> to need to be either green or air dried um, ring porous wood so that it's going to bend. Same thing with the spindles. The spindles on a Windsor are really thin and delicate. If you've ever seen a Windsor that just kind of looks mass produced and clunky, it's because they've got big fat spindles on it. It just doesn't look right. Yeah. Well, if you're getting a three eighths inch round and you want it to not snap as people lean into it, it's got to be riven. Um, and you know, if it's, if it's wet and green, it's real easy to shape at that time. Plus, uh, while it, you can then kind of stick it into a kiln after it's shaped and shrink it up and then put it through the mortise and let the wood again swell and hold it back in place. So there's a lot of mixture of, of the type of wood, but also how it was dried yeah. and how it was actually cut or riven or whatever. That's extremely important to making a Windsor chair last many, many hundreds of years. Um, you go to the restaurants and you see the Windsor chair that's broken. That's because it wasn't done using any of that. So yeah. Very, very important. Well, and I think also if you're doing something like the Blacker House chair, you're talking about a clear finish most likely. Uh, you know, the Windsors can be made from four different types of wood. A lot of times you're painting them, you know, and you're never, it's going to look like a singular piece when it's done because it's kind of all covered up. Um, I, I imagine you can apply some of that methodology and that thought process depending on how you wanted to build your chair, including a blacker house chair. But I don't think for, for what most people are going to do with that, that it's, that's really necessary. Most of these are just like mortise and tenon, glue it in. It's done. Uh, you're not, yeah. you're not really wedging anything. You're not, uh, waiting for something to dry so that it, it tightens things up, but there's really cool logic. If you study what's behind the reasons that they do these things with a Windsor chair that you might be able to apply to, to other chairs if you have the means to get that material. Oh, yeah. I learned more about the structure of wood in building the first Windsor chair I made. I mean, it was, frankly, it's one of the things that really got me in hand tools was that the shaping of all that. But, you know, it's it's really cool. But when you've got that, I don't know whether you would call it traditional. I don't know what's more traditional, like the the Blacker House kind of mortise and tenon frame, Chippendale style chair or the Windsor. They're both kind of been around a long, long time. But um, you've got a structure, a framework that a seat sits in and something like the blacker, there's all the slat work and all that stuff in there. It's, it's pretty strong in and of itself. Sure. You know, I don't think you need, um, to rely so much upon the, the wood to help you out. Although, you know, you, you want to try to not have grain running out on you all over the place. Yeah. Yeah. If you can good straight stock. Um, so Matt, are there instances in your projects that you've built so far where you let the the functionality dictate what you were using? Not in the actual project. I mean, it really comes down to like, what do I want it to look like? That's kind of like where I'm going to pick the species of the wood from. Um, but one thing I'll mention where it, it does matter to me is when I'm, I like to do the temporary glue blocks for uh, clamping up a miter. Mm-hmm. 
So I glue those right onto the to the workpiece and then break them off later. So for those, I always make them out of cedar because they're super weak. And then when you smack them with the mallet after you're done gluing up your joint, the cedar breaks, all the fibers there break because they're weaker than the glue and the wood that I'm working with. Yeah, yeah that's so that works out pretty well for me. Uh, I think two categories where you do have to or should probably think about this, and it may not give you an exact species, but at least narrows down your field of choices. Uh, outdoor projects, certainly. There's woods that do better sure. outdoors than others. Um, kitchen items. You know, there are just some woods that are probably not the best choice for the kitchen. And that's there's a reason why a lot of what you see out there is some, you know, blonde colored plain wood. <laughs> because they're, you know, they, they're they're not really as porous as some other species. Uh, they are not really going to contain oils, you know, like other species might, you know. So those are things in, in the kitchen that you have to be aware of uh, as well. But I think for me personally, outdoor uh, friendly kitchen or tradition. So if something, for instance, green and green is done with a mahogany, I'm probably going to pick a wood that's in that family just because I want it to kind of look similar to, to the, the goal I'm trying to reach there. Sure, that makes sense. Uh, Shannon, anything you can think of recently that that doesn't fall into outdoor or kitchen that you found some functionality? I mean, what your lathes, right? Your, well, your yeah, lathes, I certainly. Mean, anytime structure and strength is important, yeah. um, the most simplest thing would be like tools, like an axe handle. You want good springy wood. Hickory mm-hmm. has always been the perfect solution for that because it's got great bending strength, great stiffness, but also it's ring porous and you can rive it out and get incredible strength from it. Um, with uh, everything that I did with my lathe, especially my spring pole lathe, I couldn't just use any old wood for the spring pole. Uh, again, that had to be riven out for the same principle. Uh, it needed yeah. to be nice and strong. And I specifically chose hickory because of its beautiful, you know, you could use something like um, Osage orange or bow dark, bow wood, whatever you want to call it, where it's got a good mixture of bending strength, but also stiffness. Mm-hmm. So it springs back with great force, but it takes a heck of a lot to actually break it while you're bending it. That stuff is uh, really, really important. And it's entirely relying upon what is the function I'm going to be doing with this. So right. anytime you're talking about resilience and strength and stiffness, you know, a workbench, um, if you're building like a Rubo style workbench without an undercarriage, um, you might want to think about that a little bit more. Then again, the, the Rubo workbench top is so dang thick. <laughs> Doesn't matter. That, you know, it's, it's kind of, you're kind of okay. You, you know? could use balsa wood and it would probably be heavy enough. Maybe not, but yeah, good stuff. All right. Uh, I think now's a good time to talk about our friends over at Harry's. Uh, Harry's is the only shaving company that has both amazing quality and low prices. They feature German-engineered five-blade cartridges that produce a close, comfortable shave with no cuts or burns. Quality is guaranteed, and they'll give you a full refund if you're not happy. Uh, They cut out the middleman, so you get to take advantage of the factory direct prices, about half the price of the competition, and everything is shipped right to your door. Over a million guys have already made the switch, and thousands more switch every day. Why pay 32 bucks for an 8-pack of blades when you can get them for half the price at harrys.com? The Harry Starter Set is a great option for new customers, and it's an amazing deal. For just $15, you get the razor handle, moisturizing shave cream, and three of Harry's five-blade German-engineered razors. Plus, there's a special offer for fans of the show. Harry's will give you $5 off your first purchase with promo code WOODTALK. Go to harrys.com right now. That's H-A-R-R-Y-S dot com. Enter that code WOODTALK at checkout, and you will be on your way to a cleaner face, my friends. It's good stuff. Every time I shave clean about once a year, I use Harry's to do it. It's very important that I do that. I uh, love it. But every time I go back and you know, I haven't used it in a while, that blade is super sharp, ready to go. I don't think I've had to change the blade uh, yet, which is a, a very good sign. So let's get on to our voicemail. First one here, don't know the guy's name, but I'm going to call him Foulmouth because I'm going to have to bleep this out later. It's actually not that bad. I'm not a prude or I don't really care about curse words, but it's a family show. So I'll have to bleep this one out. Hey, Mark, Matt, Shannon, you sexy b- I'm not sure if I can say that on the <laughs> Quick question. I just got some cherry logs from a buddy of mine. They're about 10 inches uh, in diameter, not that big. I painted the ends. And my question is, does it make a difference if I debark them before I uh, get to cutting them into lumber? It may be a while till I can cut them down into lumber. And just wondering if that will help or hurt the uh, drying process. All right. Love the show. Keep it up, and I'll listen for an answer, hopefully on the air. See ya. Okay, who wants to take it? Because you're both wood guys. I'll let Matt handle it, because he deals with bark more than me. <laughs> <laughs> um, I don't really 
see any difference most of the time unless you have a serious like insect problem. Um, usually it doesn't really make a difference. If they're cut recently, it's probably going to fall off anyway because it's springtime mm. and you're probably going to see it fall off regardless. Um, if anything, if the insects aren't a problem, I'd say leave it on so it kind of helps to keep the moisture in the log so the logs can dry out on you before cutting it into lumber. But um, I haven't really heard anything for or against it, I guess. Hmm. And yeah, anything, Shannon? Uh, I think you you hit it right, depending on where it, when it felled, because um, <clears throat> there's the the sugars and the good stuff and everything is right there in the cambium layer, just underneath the bark and in the sapwood. So the bugs are really really like that. But uh, you know, it can go either way because the bark is what quote weatherproofs the tree, right? Mm-hmm. So you kind of have to wonder. I think it's some of it may be dependent upon species. There's a real bad emerald ash borer bug going around. Um, if you take the bark off, and then you're probably better off with an ash. Uh, same thing with like white oak and red oak with the um, powder post beetle. Uh, you might be better off in those instances taking the bark off. But your other woods, like your maples and your cherries and walnuts, there's not really any particular blight or pest that, that is getting into those guys as much. So I think you're okay. Hmm. Good stuff. All right, let's go into our email. And the first one here is actually not really a woodworking question, but I wanted to put it on the show. Uh, (laughs) This is from Ruben. He says, I'm now 100% caught up with all the episodes, and I have one question for you guys. Uh, And no more ever again. Do you happen to have the Wood Talk intro song available for download as a ringtone? I don't know if I could, uh, if I would use it though, because every time my phone rings, I'll be disappointed that it's not followed by the soothing sounds of Mark, Matt, and Shannon. <laughs> it says, P.S. Fingers crossed, Ruben. So uh, I, the only reason I put that in there is because I should give love to the guy who uh, made that intro for us. Is my buddy Andrew Allen, a very talented musician, um, who who made the Wood Talk intro. I'll play it right here. You recognize that, right? Uh, Andrew's super talented, and you could find a lot of his work, like pretty much everything he's done, some amazing stuff. Uh, with his, he's got the Andrew Allen uh, trio, and these guys are just amazing jazz musicians. Uh, so keyswithsoul.com is where you could find all that. And uh, you know what? If you want this file, I just sent the file to uh, to Ruben. If you want it, we could post a link to it, put it on a Dropbox or something, and anyone who wants it can download it, uh, the full thing, uh, no problem at all with that. So good stuff. All right. Uh, Sean wrote in, he says, when I use fresh two by fours in my projects, they often have pockets of pitch that make for a sticky, smelly mess on the project. Um, what do you do to address this? I don't want my projects taking up space in my shop, waiting for this stuff to dry out. Okay. Now I'm going to do my best not to sound snooty or (sighs) you guys know where I'm going with this, right? I'm glad you took this one. Yeah, I, but I think it's important to talk about this because when you're when you're building furniture and you want to build uh, quality furniture, uh, there's a rule that I think stands. And generally speaking, some exceptions, but generally speaking, crap in, crap out. Uh, you can't use crap material and expect to get a, a gem out of the other end. I guess you could use crap and then paint it and hopefully it holds up and everything will be okay. In this case, not to say that his stuff and his choice of materials is complete crap, but generally speaking, two by fours, uh, are not really intended for for furniture, right? They're going to have tons of moisture. You're going to have things like this with with knots and, and pitch pockets and resin and all kinds of stuff. It's going to be a very unpredictable material. I don't know why, other than if that's all you know, someone can afford, or maybe they just have access to a lot of the stuff uh, for 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 not much money. Um, to me, I would rather wait until I have the extra money to buy some decent quality material that isn't going to drive me nuts to work with it, and that will also make my project more valuable because it's going to last longer. To me, it's worth the investment to go get some decent pine, right? And pine is not super expensive, but you get it from a decent source that's fully dried, nice and clear. You're not necessarily going to have these issues, right? So there are ways that you can deal with this, but my, my, at the risk of sounding like a jerk uh, with this kind of advice, my advice is to use furniture-grade wood and avoid this problem completely. Um, because you know how many times I've dealt with sap in my work? once and then I got rid of that board and found another one and went back to work. It's just not something you should in furniture have to deal with very often. Um, so if more you, importantly, he's going to wait a long time for it to dry, to dry out. out on its own. Right. And that gets yeah. into, to, to my advice. If you are going to have decades, people, <laughs> if you're going to have to deal with this, there's really one way to speed that process up and that's heat. All right. And the problem is it's, you know, not necessarily a consistent, well drawn out process where you're going to be able to nail it every single time. Uh, it also may involve the use of your oven. If you have, you know, one that, <laughs> you know, I don't know how big your pieces are, but 
you know, is only so big that you can get into an oven uh, or the construction of some sort of kiln that can get the temperature up higher than you might normally have it. So like 170, 180, generally mm, speaking, 240 plus to set pitch. Oh, oh yeah. well, I've, I did research this. I have two or three articles that said 170, 180. I'm not disagreeing with you. I'm just the people who wrote those articles disagree with you. Interesting. I'm wondering um, if that's a pine thing. I know. Well, the only time we ever deal with this is Spanish cedar because Spanish okay. cedar is, is very resinous. We've got to get it up above 240. Oh, uh, really? To set that sap. That's hot. That's probably just, well, yeah. And you, you really run the, run the risk of destroying the lumber. So you got to do it really slow. Well, and like, I think even, <laughs> even amongst pine and dug fir, you know, which is probably what the, the resources I was looking at were referring to, uh, even with that temperature range, 160 to 180, 170 to 180, even the time that these things have to be exposed to that temperature is highly variable. Um, And the thing is, you need to get the interior of the wood to hit that temperature. So just because the outside is at that temperature. (laughs) Well done. Yeah. I mean, you need to to bake this stuff uh, so that it essentially causes the sugars in there. Same thing you would do, you know, if you had like a syrup that you... uh, Brulee. Yeah, right? You heat it up and eventually it just uh, gets to a hard candy. Just get one of those torches. Yeah. Go to the kitchen store and buy a little torch. Mm. And then uh, eat it up because it's delicious and sweet. Um, yeah. So so if you do this process, if you can get your parts into an oven and heat them up for a few hours, you may be able to speed that up, harden that stuff up. Then once it bubbles to the surface, knock it off and then get back to work with those boards. But depending on the size of the project you're building, I, that just may not be practical. right? So if this is truly a problem for you and you can't do the oven and you don't have a kiln, maybe rethink your source of material. You might want to find a way to get better quality stock because building furniture out of two by fours, uh, I just don't envy someone who has no other choice but to do that because that well, sounds like miserable. Let's look at this work. Look at this a different way. If it really is that sappy, it hasn't been dried well at all. Yeah. So you're going to have other problems besides it being sticky and smelly. It's going to move all over the place. Well, the whole waiting for this to dry out. Well, by the time it does well it's not right we talked about this gonna be a long time uh but as the wood itself truly dries out and uh, you know acclimates to his conditions thing's gonna pretzel on you it's not gonna be straight anymore and it'll be practically useless at that point so yeah i just i feel bad because i know some people use this stuff because it's it's accessible it's cheap and it might be the only way that they can get stuff built or maybe they're going for a particular look that that stuff works really good for and that's something i I can't speak on. I don't, I don't know anything about that, but generally speaking, if you know, try your best to get better material and you will be a happier woodworker and you just will not be dealing with these, these problems all the time. I think you'll, you'll be better off if you don't use two by fours, mm-hmm. specifically two by fours. If you okay. use two by whatever, choose the wider stuff. Uh, just because that, well, I mean, two by fours, they need it. They're needed in such incredible volume to make, you know, studs for walls. Yeah. So that process they, so you fast, just, you know, they're, they're, and they don't have to be dry because, frankly, frankly, they're getting clad by something, you know, their drywall or something. Mm-hmm. So, and they're you know, hammered and nailed into into submission. It's the the wider stuff that has other purposes, like fascia board or. Um, I'm not a carpenter, so I'm going to run out of I, fascia board. That's all I can come up with Joyce. right now. Sorry, people. Yeah, joists. You know, yeah, exactly. Um, they tend to be dried slower. They tend to be given a little bit more care because obviously they'll cup like mad. You know, if you've got an eight inch, 10 inch wide board, it's already cut pretty badly when you go to Home Depot. But if it were dried as poorly <laughs> or as little as a two by four is, it would cup even worse. Yeah. So if you, you know, I understand if that's all you can get access to, if that's all you can afford, go and get two by eights, two by tens, two by twelves. You're, you're going to find less sap in that stuff than you will in the two by fours. Yeah. Good advice. We talked about this a couple of weeks ago too. So let me go back and listen to that. I forgot which episode that was. We talked about working with construction lumber with oh, yeah. uh, for furniture work. Oh, so. I don't remember that. Was I here? Oh. Yeah. Was it a show it was- I missed? <laughs> no, it wasn't that one. <laughs> you put your snooty pants on and like uh, stop listening. Uh, yeah, my pinky's out. What can I say? <laughs> <laughs> All awesome. right. <laughs> yeah, it's a reference to the last show. All right, Chad. Uh, this uh, one comes from Wilson. And uh, yet again, another week in a row, he uh, donated. And surprisingly, we're reading his question. It has nothing to do with it. I just saw that when, when Mark read the names off the yeah. beginning of the show. I was like, oh, yeah, I picked his question. Funny so how that works. Yeah, it's not intentional, but kind of is. Mm-hmm. All right. <laughs> Wilson says, I'm in the market for a rabbit plane. After watching some of Shannon's videos, he seems to end up recommending a wooden version. Is this correct? <laughs> is he saying, am I correct or am I correct in recommending that? 
I think he's in, intimating that I'm wrong. Oh. <laughs> Maybe. If so, what would I be looking for in a rabbit plane? As with most things, many seem to be wrong-handed for my left-handed self. Any advice, suggestions, support would be appreciated. Um, okay, uh, this is this is one of those it depends questions, and I hate to do that, but um, personally, I really do like vintage wooden rabbit planes. Um, I'm not a big fan of fenced planes in general. They tend to actually slow me down um, because most of what I'm doing is is one-off type stuff. If I need a lot of repeated rabbits, um, for instance, I, I needed a rabbit, a very consistent rabbit on the bottom of the blanket chest I'm building and that needed to go around the entire interior of the case. So I did pull out my Philister plane, my Veritas rabbit plane, set the fence, set the depth stop, and I was able to cut that repeatedly. Most of the time, though, I'm not in that situation. I'm making one rabbit, maybe two, and I can start one of these wooden rabbit planes just in a knife line and work down from there. The fact that there's no fence or anything like that allows me to really tweak and adjust the rabbit as I go. Plus, there's no moving parts. It's a block of wood with a wedge, you know, so they're real easy to tune up. You can get them for a song um, on, uh, I don't know about eBay. Nothing's for song on eBay anymore for tools. <laughs> but, you know, antique stores, go to guys like hyperkitten.com, um, Jim Bodie Tools, those guys. They always have rabbit planes lying around. Um, and you can get them really, really cheaply. You just have to sharpen the blade, maybe flatten the sole, and you're good to go. Um, it's a much more economical version. And I just think anytime you don't have the fence or the depth stop or any of that stuff to adjust – it allows you to kind of adjust on the fly and really dial in the right fit. But that's me. There's a lot of people out there, especially people coming from the power tool world. And this is how I used to be. When I first made that transition, it was all about fences and depth stops. The more I've worked with hand tools, the less I really want that. I find they get in the way. So me saying the wooden rabbit plane's the way to go might not work for you. You might want to have that positive registration of a fence and the positive registration. The plane stops cutting when it hits the depth stop. Um, but those are more expensive. <laughs> There's no question, you know, and there certainly are Stanleys and vintage rabbit planes with fences and depth stops that you can get. But again, you're dealing with more moving parts that you may have to remove rust fun. You may have to make sure that it's flat and true and it can be a lot of a uh, a lot of extra stuff if that's not what you're into. So um, when it comes to wooden rabbit planes, no brand, no particular size, just grab one. Um, if it's a skewed blade, great. If it's a straight blade, even better. Doesn't really matter. So you don't really have to really focus on that. Um, if you really want to go with the fence model, the Veritas model is a very good plane. Um, you, you really can't beat it. The, the fence locks nicely. It's got a good depth stop on it. My preference for a fenced plane is a wooden moving philister plane. Um, if you can find those in vintage, you, you might have to do a little bit more tune-up if you can buy them new from lots of people, but they are very expensive. <laughs> You're getting in the $400 mark when you start buying brand new moving philister planes. So um, as far as the most economical option, the quickest way to get you into cutting rabbits by hand, go buy just a wooden rabbit plane off, off an antique store. You probably get them for less than $20. Nice. There you go. Cool. <laughs> this next one is from Ron. He says, I often get lower back pain after working a while on the bench. Any thoughts on prevention and or treatment? I've already installed an exercise mat to stand on. So I have one of those in front of my bench as well. Just a big, like, I guess literally an exercise mat. And it does help, but it's really more there just so when I drop stuff on the floor, it doesn't hit the <laughs> concrete. <laughs> so, yeah. you know, there's that. <laughs> Um, one thing that I found, at least for me, because the, the majority of the time I spend at my bench just being there, like actually working in one spot is chiseling. So for that operation, I sit. And that really helps me a lot because I'm not, you know, I'm not hunched over over the bench trying to do all this chiseling work. So I have a little stool. So that's like at the right height where I'm sitting at my bench. And it's kind of like working at a table. It's really nice. I know, Shannon, you have a joinery bench. So it raises the work up higher. So you're not hunched over as well. But I think that's probably... The biggest part is whatever you're doing, I'm not sure exactly what you spend the most time doing at the bench when you're not moving around, but the more time you spend in one spot just hunched over the bench, probably the worst it's going to be. 
Yeah, it's even, nice even when I'm at my joinery bench, like if I'm carving and I'm in the exact same spot, oh, my yeah. back will still get tired. Even though I'm not hunched over, I'm just standing in one spot. It's nice to have an adjustable height stool for that too, because there's yeah. some times where I'm, I'm working with a router and I need to be at a certain height, or I'm working with uh, you know just the chisels right on the flat of the bench, and I want to be a little bit lower. Maybe um, I find that that helps a lot. Um, you know, by the way, if anyone can Photoshop a picture of Matt with like spandex and a headband so we can call it exercise, Matt, <laughs> exercise, Matt, yeah. that would be fantastic. Either Matt, either Matt will work. Yeah. You know? <laughs> either one. That's true. Or both. Think, exercise mats. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Exercise, exercise mats. Mat. Yeah, the one, one thing I can add to this, and this is actually a tip that, um, well, the, the CFO of my day job brought this up because he has really chronic back pain. His doctor told them that when it starts to get tight, just stand up and, and put your foot like up on a chair. You know, you're mm. not like trying to stretch, just kind of lift it up off the ground and it adds a little bit of stretch to your lower back. And the reason I say this is I used to really have this problem when I was turning because you're just standing in one spot. Uh, and I yeah, tend to kind of get tensed up when I turn. My shoulders get really tense and I, I hunch because I'm not the world's best turner. I can still, what I consider to be the world's best turners are the people that like can do complicated things and not mess it up and not have to like white knuckle the tool. Every single like pass I make under the cove could be disaster. (laughs) So that's, that's the intermediate turner. So I tend to really, really tense up. One thing I noticed when I moved to my foot powered lathes, and this is not necessarily endorsement of foot powered lathes, but obviously my foot is in motion. Now I'm constantly bending my knee and pushing that treadle. It's the exact same thing that this doctor told my, my CFO and said, Hey, just, just occasionally, raising that knee, raising that leg, it stretches that lower back out a little bit. I have no back problems turning anymore because I'm in motion, if you will. I'm just stretching that out. So what I've started to do, if I'm going to be at my workbench for long periods of time, I'll lift one leg and just put it on the bottom shelf. Just kind of do the Captain Morgan thing. (laughs) (laughs) Stand up on on the stretcher or on the bottom shelf of my Rubo. Yeah. There is another picture for Photoshop people. There you go. Absolutely. (laughs) But but that really helps. It loosens those muscles a little bit. And then of course switch legs, you know, every now and then. Um, So it's really, really helpful. Um, when when you're gonna be in one place for a long time. No no amount of exercise mat can can help that standing in the same place for eight hours or six hours or even a couple out. Come on, everybody, kick your legs. <laughs> uh, I see him leading a jazzercise class. Um, all right, two I things to think add. We found the title of the show, Exercise Map. <laughs> yes, I think so. Um, two things to add. Uh, I also suffer from periodic, not chronic, but periodic lower back issues. And uh, with tasks like that, I find that a good stretch before I actually start is really, really helpful. Um, and also stopping periodically to do those same stretches, uh, little exercises that can actually help, um, you know, take the focus and just kind of move things around a little bit. So it's not, um, you just don't get into that sort of, like you're talking about that hunched over pain. And suddenly when it's there, it's kind of too late at that point, um, that can help to prevent it. The other thing, this may be just a total red herring, but it's something I I think about if it's a, a constant problem that you're, you're having this back pain at your bench, there may be a possibility that your bench is the wrong height for you you know, depending on what you're trying to do. So you may look into analyzing that if your bench is just super low, or maybe you're just a real tall person, you built to a standard plan. um, You know, one bench height doesn't doesn't suit everybody. So that may be something to look at, because possibly propping up your bench, maybe building some little feet to go on the bottom of your legs, uh, to to raise things up a little bit may very well solve the problem in a lot of the cases. So that's at least something to consider. Yeah, 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 that. Yeah, go buy yourself a node and adjust a bench. Yeah, those are really cool. Cool, very nice stuff. Uh, And if you know, and if it's not the bench that you want to raise up, you could get like Vanderlist used to get lifts in your shoes that just make you seem taller. There you go. Yeah, for self confidence about your. There is something to that. Inserts are are nice too. Yeah, they can help just in general. Yeah, (laughs) not to make you taller, but you know, (laughs) to cushion your feet a little bit. All right. Well, if you want to support the show, you can just head to woodtalkshow.com. Look in the side column for the recurring donation links, and uh, we always appreciate your support that way. Um, you can get a Wood Talk t-shirt at twwstore.com, or you can leave us an iTunes review. It doesn't cost you anything. Just go to the iTunes store, look us up, and click on ratings and reviews. Give us a sweet five-star rating. I've got one here to read, and I'm, we're going to read it because the guy's name is fantastic. His name is Boys to Men for Life. <laughs> <laughs> That's fan like that it doesn't get better than that. Yeah. He says, Great. I learned so much from these three. First, I enjoyed Matt V's perspective on everything because he's very relatable. I liked Mark's uh because he brings you in and makes you feel at home. Uh and then they added Shannon. Dramatic pause. 
and the show became whole. Uh, his approach to hand tools is what made me realize how tangible woodworking is. I can only afford to restore hand planes, and Shannon has really helped me see the light through the fog. I just found out that Matt isn't Matt anymore, uh, being only on episode 150. <laughs> But I'll have to edit my post when I get there. Thanks, guys. So the jury is still out on Matt uh, as far as what boys to men for life thinks. I can't wait to find out. It's going to be good. I have to know. Well, depending on what boys to men has to say about you, Matt, you might have come to the end of the road. I was looking for the perfect, Ah! the perfect pun for that. Well done, sir. (laughs) But I actually think it's probably a good thing that I could not remember a boys to men title. Yeah, that's probably not a good thing. So hand over your man card, sir, because wah, wah. All right. Anyway, if you want to leave us a review, that's a great way to do it. We might read it on the show. And uh, Shannon, how about you give them the contact info? We'll get out of here. Okie doke. If you have comments, questions, or topic suggestions, or boys to men song suggestions, or, uh, several ways you can contact us. Please leave us a voicemail on Skype. Our username is Wood Talk Online, or you can use that phone thing and call us at 623 242 5180. You can use our fancy contact form at woodtalkshow.com slash contact, or leave us a comment on our Wood Talk Facebook page. <laughs> Just play me out. Go ahead, go ahead. Keep going. (laughs) If you're looking for the show notes or downloads from today's show or previous episodes, you can find them at woodtalkshow.com. And please don't forget to tip your waiter and waiters. You can check out our individual sites at thewoodwhisperer.com, renaissancewoodworker.com, and exercisemat.com. I mean, (laughs) matcremona.com. You know what's great? Since we don't have any revenue like on these audio files, I mean, I guess I could get in trouble by playing no content ID. Stuff, but there's no content ID crap on YouTube, yes. right? <laughs> so why not? Yeah, enjoy it, folks. Have a great woodworking week, and we'll catch you next time. Should have really read that show as like, you know, you need to contact us, baby. Yeah. They don't buy the I don't know. With my voice going the way it is, I might be able to hit that pretty soon. Oh, man. Oh, but yeah. yeah, I guess it's the end of the road, so let's get out of here, guys. 